What does it take to build a billion dollar company? If you're like most people, you probably assume it requires raising venture capital, building some sort of SaaS product, and scaling it to millions of users. The last thing you'd probably think of is maxing out your credit cards in order to start a manufacturing company that produces supplements stocking the shelves of your favorite PX or GNC store. Well, that's exactly what Marine Corps veteran Mark Krauthammer and his co-founder of AMP Nutraceuticals are doing. This is Iron Mike Stedman, and you're listening to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses. On today's show, Mark takes his armor all the way off and shares how he racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card debt in order to bootstrap his multi-million dollar manufacturing company, producing high-quality and high-volume dietary supplements for some of the most well-known brands in the industry, with the ultimate goal of being a billion-dollar company one day. Before we jump into the show, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast hosting platform. I'd also greatly appreciate it if you left us a review as well. The transition is brought to you by Bunker Labs and the Institute for Veterans and Military Families at Syracuse University, where we provide community programs and courses to help military veterans and military spouses start and grow successful businesses and startups. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Mark, my brother, what's going on, man? What's going on, brother? How are you? Good. It's always a pleasure to have a fellow devil dog jumping on the podcast. You and I started communicating back and forth on LinkedIn, and I thought it'd be great to get you on here because, you know, I don't think I've had too many manufacturers on here, and particularly in the space that you're dealing with, you know, supplements. And let's be honest, a lot of military and military spouses, we love to get it in at the gym, right? Yeah. I remember when I was in Afghanistan, it was all about you know, explode. Right. You know, take your little pre-workout, get the little tingly feeling, get it after it. You know, we would tell people to send us protein, you know, while we we're working out, just try to maintain. But, man, we got a lot of good stuff that we're going to talk about. So without further ado, please take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience and let them know what you're doing with AMP. Is it Nutritical? How do I pronounce it? Nutraceuticals. AMP Nutraceuticals. Yes, sir. <laughs> My name is Mark Radhammer. I am one of the owners of AMP Nutraceuticals. It's, we're a nutraceutical manufacturing company. We white label for a lot of brands out there that you see in everyday stores like GNC, Vitamin Shop, Walmart, so on and so forth. So we're kind of behind the scenes. The big brands and procurement people come to us and they would give us a formula. We would either they would give us with the flavor already done or we would flavor it up for them. We would cost it for them and we would manufacture and scale from A to Z. Protein powders, pre-workouts, vitamins, anything you see in the nutraceutical space. How did you see the market opportunity for this business? Ironically, same thing with you, similar with the analyst explode in Afghanistan. I was in Iraq in 2008, 2009, and it was all you could buy in, in his store was, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was Muscle Farm and yeah. BSN. Yeah, and BSN. I, I, yeah, man, the true mass every day. I had, I had so much. I had three three jugs of True Mass next to my next to my next to my rack every day. I, I worked out like an animal. Um, never took anything besides supplements, and I, I put on some serious size over there. I was weighing about two fifteen, about five foot ten, five foot eleven, and I was bent over four hundred pounds for reps. And yeah, yeah, I'm motivated already. Yeah, yeah, getting it in, yeah, getting so, it in. So was, yeah, so I was that guy that would go to different different pubs <laughs> throughout throughout the Western Iraq and and, and just go to the gym. When we were pulled through to get some gas and uh, fuel up, and I would just look to see what the bench press record was. And I would go in yeah. there and just, all right, 365, all right, no problem. Let me see my, get my spotters over here, check me out. I want to beat the record, put my name on the wall, you know? So, yeah. Let's take a moment. We got to take a moment to rest in peace the deployed weightlifting gyms. Cause those were some <laughs> yeah. of the most intense, best workouts I've ever had in my life. I remember yes. working out at a Kajabi in Afghanistan. It's okay. not Kajabi. I said Kajabi. Was it was it Kajabi? It was one of the bases in Afghanistan. I just remember. I was an infantry officer, right? You know, we would go to some of these fobs, and we would literally only be there for like 24 hours. And boots and utes, baby. Deep blousing, going in there, just getting it in. Because there was something then, even now, that I find. This, like, I call it iron therapy. Just no matter how bad life is getting, 
just getting under a heavy load, right, and getting it in, you just feel so much better. And for a lot of us on deployment, man, there was so much uncertainty. There was so much angst, right? It's like a rough environment, so it ain't exactly peaceful, but there was something about being in the weight room and just getting it in. It's so true. No matter what you do, you're right. You could stop, just fuel up. You could be doing, just passing through, and the first thing you look for is the weight room. It's the craziest thing. Either the weight room or you're outside chain smoking cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> what are they doing, you know? But so. I didn't mean to cut off your story, so keep going. No, no, you're good. So when I came home, I was, I was, I was, I was a pretty large person, and I never took anything in my life. Never took any testosterone, no steroids, or nothing. Just I was, I, I guess I'm, I'm Irish German, so I guess it's my, 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 my German roots. I just have that natural build. Like I go in there, I hit hard, and, and I put on size. And I always, I always knew how to fluctuate my diet and my carbs, maximize my size, between that and weight training hard. And uh, I go to the gym, and everyone asks me what I'm taking. So at that time, I, I, when I came home, I wasn't taking pre-workout from any specific brand. I would go online. I would buy individual raw materials. I would mix up my own formulas. So people, so I told people that. And they're like, all right, can I buy what you make for yourself? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> no problem. So I, started, so I started putting two and two together. And I started making my own stuff and buying raw materials and mixing it up in scale. Just doing single servings, five grams of this, two grams of that, three grams of that. And I would actually go to, I would go to the, the, the supermarket. I would buy the 4C fruit punch package. That was my flavoring. And I was like, oh, it tastes really good. I'm like, yeah, I just put a 4C in it. You know what I mean? It tasted like bland powder, you know? And so long story short, I, I, I hooked up with a local manufacturer to me that actually owned a brand. And I'm like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to learn how to do it the right way. So I, well, first off, I started buying other stuff I couldn't make for them, like protein powders. I had a pre-workout and a, and a, and a, and a, and a post-workout drink. So buy the, the products I didn't make myself from them and sell for like a $5 markup. I would travel like 15 minutes to go to the gym and build my old clientele base. I'm like, I'm going to scale $5 profit per product when it cost me probably twice as much in gas and five times as much of my time going there. But that was my mentality back then. And, uh, so I started moving a, a decent amount, a couple thousand dollars a month with the product from these other guys. I wasn't making a lot of money at all, but they offered me a job. And at that time, I was working nights at a, as a I was a I was a manager for a third party reset company in Home Depot stores. We do like fixture installation, merchandising, and stuff like that. So this company had offered me. I was doing that at night, and this company had offered me a job to go to go help them in manufacturing. So I went there. I learned it. I, I didn't learn a whole lot from them. I mean, I, I had uh, I had a platform to grow, but the people I worked for just weren't very good people. But I had a couple of years to learn, met a lot of people, knew how to figure out how to do things the right way. And from there, the company was was doing some shady stuff on the books, committed some bank fraud, um, and I completely, pretty much the company, the bank stopped funding the company. It was 2016. The bank stopped funding the company. The company had no money, so almost the whole company got laid off pretty much immediately. I was one of the top tier guys in the company, so I stayed on doing some sales to try to keep things going. But at the same time, me and a couple of guys from the company realized this wasn't going to work, obviously. Um, and we opened up a supplement store out here on Long Island, and we started running our manufacturing out of there. When we ran the supplement store out of there, we would buy other third-party brands, and we would sell it to the store to mark up. But we ran kind of a back office operation to where we would use other manufacturers to send our raw materials that we bought and the formulas to other manufacturers, and they would produce it for us. Long story short, we pretty much out of nowhere lost our jobs, opened up a store, maxed out our credit cards. We actually started the company with over $100,000 in Amex debt because, because one of my partners, Amex, was being used by the owner that was committing bank fraud. So they left us holding the bag for between 100, 150 grand. So we had to work through, and it was Amex charge card. So it's every, every 30, 59 days, you have to pay the whole amount. So like the way we rolled money, I don't even know how we did it, but we just, we just never gave up. <laughs> Long story short, we, the other manufacturer couldn't keep up with, the, couldn't keep up with our, 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 our clients. And we ended up scaling a couple of years. We ended up getting our own facility, about 4,000 square feet. Because they were having trouble handling a part of the manufacturing, we said, okay, we'll do it ourselves. And from there, COVID hit. They couldn't do anything. Everyone shut down because nobody came to work. And our clients aren't even in New York. They're all around the world. We have clients in Canada. We have clients in, 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 in Malaysia and China. And we ship all over the world. So these people didn't want to hear it. you know. So we, we had no money. Our, our, so our biggest clients 
And not only that, but another thing you'll, you can appreciate is when you own a brand or when you own a business, getting paid from your clients is it making and having customers one thing, but getting paid from them is a completely different story. You know, and you have to be careful in business. That's very dangerous. We had one of our biggest clients decided that they couldn't manage their own cash flow. They got in personal debt during while well, all this was happening. They got in their own personal debt and, and, and they owed us a couple hundred thousand dollars, a lot of money. And they, and they can't, you have to keep shipping us or we're, or we're going to go out of business and we can't pay you at all. So <laughs> it was, well, we, we, we became a bad before you know you, it's too deep. You know what I mean? 2018, 2019, they owe us a ton of money. It, it was hard for us to reinvest back in and get another client. So it was a ton of money. I almost lost my home. I had my car repossessed out of my driveway. I owe three thousand dollars on it. We pushed through it. We they 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 they, they spoon fed us money as we needed, so we didn't so we made sure they didn't, they didn't totally screw us and walk away. While we built other clients, other manufacturers again couldn't keep up. COVID hit. They they shut down. We continued to take out loans and get into full-scale manufacturing because before they, we were buying the materials and they were doing all the mixing and receiving raw materials and we just spent over a hundred grand between credit cards and, and, and loans and we started getting into full-blown manufacturing and we, we acquired at that time about 12,000 square feet, started moving first year, started picking things back up again and we, we've scaled it significantly, you know, and just pushing forward I and mean, not be able to find people to work during COVID. I mean, I operated a, a, a 30 cubic foot industrial size mixer for a good year and a half out of my life for 14 to 16 hour days, running on six, seven days a week because I couldn't find anybody to do it. And the job was too hard. Literally every blend, just to give you an idea, four to six blends a day, every blend holds about 605 kilos, which is about 12 to 1400 pounds. That you're weighing material, you're mixing material, you're discharging material, and you're giving it to people on a production line, the people that work for us, to, to put it in a bottle and, and label it up and, and box it up and ship it to our clients. You know, so it's a it's a, it's a very complex business. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't wish it on anybody to start that without a significant amount of money and the right connections. But we were we were all in. So you don't really think about it now after the fact when things are flowing over the upward trend. But went through a lot. And uh, like any entrepreneur, it only makes you stronger, but you, just, you don't give up. And life's always in the internal. You just got to find it. You know, we could have got a, gave up 30, 40 times over and never got to where we are today. You know, and it's actually I have a kind theory. of weird that things feel easy, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, man, I appreciate you being vulnerable and transparent because one of the things that is important about this podcast is we want to help our listeners avoid the landmines out there. And it's mm -hmm. like, you can't log on social media these days without somebody telling you, how to make $10 million in 30 days. You know, if you're not a millionaire, how, millionaire yet, how lazy you are. And it just makes me just be like, have these people actually built a business before? Are they selling to just the entrepreneurs? Because, you know, there's things that like I didn't realize until I became entrepreneur of like, yo, bigger companies might hold your pay, you know, because they have all the power. So they're trying to keep healthy cash on the books. They want to pay everyone else. And then they'll pay the vendor or then they'll pay the manufacturer and stuff. And mm -hmm. so if you don't manage it right, you know, you can find yourself in a situation where you run out of money and you go bankrupt. Right. Or you can't make payroll and all these things. And my business coach told me I was sweating, man. I had about 25K in receivables owed to me, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I can't like this was early on. Right. And I'm like, if I don't get this paid, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. He was like, this is what you do, Mike. He's like, send them an email. See if they can pay something. You know, can you? Can you give me five? Can you give me 10? And at the time, I was thinking, like, this is crazy. But I understand what he was getting at because when you find yourself in those situations, you got to stay alive, right? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, guess what, man? You don't get the full amount yet, but that little 3000 that little 7000 might keep you alive a little bit longer. So bracing yourself for things like that, and that is something that people don't talk about. The other thing I'm going to ask you is, when you started, right, and I always use this analogy with entrepreneurship, I think a lot of times we think we know where we're headed, like we have this vision for what our business is going to look like, how we're going to scale, but in reality, it's more like taking a snowball and throwing it down a mountain, and our job as an entrepreneur is really just to get the ball rolling, then it's going to turn into an avalanche, it's going to twist and turn, and it's going to turn into all this thing over here. I say that to you because, you know, when you stepped out on your own, yeah, you guys were doing a little bit of manufacturing, but you're really built around the shop. And then you turn into this kind of full scale 
manufacturing for larger brands. Was that really the plan? Was that something you saw in your mind? Or was it just kind of like a natural progression? Well, to be honest with you, the manufacturing is always a bread and butter. And manufacturing was always something that, that, that was, it was way more scalable than having a store. Your revenue differences are completely different, you know, completely different. And again, manufacturing is way more scalable with the right model, the right infrastructure, and the right clientele base. The store is much smaller revenue, much more investment because your acquisition to get to gaining end consumer is way harder because the competition is so much broader out there. In our industry, there's so many people that lie and cheat on a label. Anybody can make a product to put a label on and sell in the marketplace, say it's protein when they're selling the sugar. You know, and, and our industry is what had historical cheaters in it. So when you're trying to sell, and we had our own brand when we had our store, and the initial thought process was, I just didn't want to go out there and sell myself, because it's hard to sell to, to big manufacturing companies. Like, you have to build, it took a long time for me to build my reputation to people that knew me, to where it's not like I, I have to go to any shows or hard pitch or have a sales team. I just, I have a good reputation. So the people that I know that are vendors out there, when they know their friends that or the people they sell to in big brands being a manufacturer, oh, check out Mark and Amp, Amp Neutral. Like, he's really good. Like, he can help you out. So they make a connection. We talk. And it's easy because I own the company and I understand the whole R&D process and the costing process, the formulation process, the flavoring. They can talk to me and, t- and send me the formula in two days they can have a cost back. And with scale, but I'll work with them because I own the company. So they can get from A to Z a lot faster because there's no layers. So I own the company. I do everything myself. No need to say, you know? So my thought process in the beginning was I didn't want to deal with that because I didn't have the reputation in the marketplace yet. I want to build my own brand because I think there's a lot of brands in the industry that weren't doing it right. And that's another reason why I wanted to grow the retail stores. I knew the manufacturers bread and butter. The retail stores was just a total uphill battle because I see for 100 customers I see a day, for 100, if I saw 100 customers a day, which was a lot, I average saw about 15 or 20. So if I saw 100 customers a day, those 100 people I have to sell on why our brand, okay, is better than the big brand they see inside the store and how they BS their label to make their product look good, but I'm giving you real stuff. You know what I mean? So I just found myself getting so exhausted and your margins just get smaller and smaller and your overheads and your inventory holds is just so exorbitant. It's just not worth it. So... I can deal with 100 clients for one client that I deal with selling one product, okay, that I make one run throughout the course of an entire year. I can literally get one PO for one product that I can manufacture in three days. Yeah. And I can profit four times more money. You know what I mean? So I realized the store was a real uphill battle. And I was planning, you have to make money by doing multiple stores, more and more and more and more. At the end of the day, I don't own any of the outlets, okay? You have to get in there with anchor stores and gyms and stuff like that, which your rent just keeps going up. You know what I mean? And then you have to manage, it's so hard to manage employees in multiple stores because as a business owner, they're not going to give it their all that I'm giving it. You know what I mean? So I, I start losing control the more you scale and the cash in, the customer acquisition cost, it just wasn't worth it for me. So we decided to sell the store. We sold the store to a friend of mine who had owned another store. He took it over and, 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 and we kind of full force into manufacturing, which again, has its own host of other problems, but I'd rather deal with six to eight clients or, or even one client here that I did so much more revenue versus an entire year revenue in a store. And, and you're a lot more clear as far as your business goes. And you're dealing with people that, that for the most part now, as you evolve, that they've been in business 25, 30 years. They pay their bills. They understand money mechanics. You know, I, I, like you said, the longer you're in business, you go through all this stuff, you learn what to stay away from. I mean, if I knew now what I knew when I first started the store, I would have immediately not put any money into my own brand, which we shut down. Okay. I would take that money, roll that into assets for, for other brands we were manufacturing for. I would have diversified my, my manufacturing and we would have gotten to manufacture a lot sooner, but we're a self-funding company. So we don't have any private equity money or no investors in our company. We literally built our company off an of start fund. So, so. That's why we didn't get to manufacturing from day one because the overheads of manufacturing are, 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 are so exor- they're so much high. You know what I mean? Between your between your equipment costs, your 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 overhead costs. I need space. I have twenty two thousand square feet right now. You know, at the way rent was increasing in New York State, it's just it's such an expensive industry to be in. I mean, I have a full blown lab in house that I have over 
that I pay on an annual basis over $100,000 a year in salaries in my lab right now and have over $300,000 worth of equipment that I don't charge people for. I don't charge my client for that. You know what I mean? That's a part of my manufacturing cost. You know what I mean? So I have to try and roll that in in my, in, in my, in my, in my, in my labor costs, but it doesn't work that way because when you want to do a bigger client, you need to become aggressive. So you need to make sure you're as efficient as humanly possible, i.e. making sure you're focusing on automation, automating at the right time. You have to watch out for, you have to make sure all your employees, the, the bar is raised and everyone's operating like the Marine Corps. You're operating at a different standard. You're operating at a different level because you learn from day one that the bar is set way up here versus down here. We don't reward the mediocrity here, you know? This is an important topic, and I've been trying to pound it over and over again on all the different podcasts, particularly the ones for the, the last like month and a half or so, of being real intentional about the market you choose to go after. Because like mm. you said, running a brick and mortar and selling a product, right, is very challenging. Because I was going to ask you, like, how were you paying yourself? Like in the early days, were you even factoring in the salary? What did that look like? We paid that. No. We were. We were. <laughs> <laughs> We literally, it's, we really, I, I can say it now because I don't rely on that anymore, but we did something that was totally illegal in Amex's world and, and, and they almost caught me once, but, 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 but I was able to finagle my way out of it through a conversation. We own multiple businesses. We have multiple corporations. I had my, my partner's corporation run his Amex under his corporation through, the, through our, our, our store corporation that he was partners in. So he ran his Amex under business A through, uh, through, our, through our PayPal account in business B. And we would run the charge as a consulting fee so we can pay ourselves a little bit of money so we can survive. We were borrowing money from Amex and hoping yeah. that, it would, that, that it would kick. And we had to keep rolling our money. It would basically keep kicking the can, kicking the can in hopes that like, things would just get better. And then you realize like, when customers that use you as a bank, they, they, it's a, I become so selective with who I do business with. And like you said, you have the ability to receive through the bullshit. You know what I mean? I, me personally, like, I don't believe in, if everyone says, if you want to grow a business, you want to build wealth, you use other people's money to do it, Mike. I don't believe in that. I yeah. believe if I want to build wealth, I'm going to invest my own damn money. You know what I mean? Right. So you have a lot of people fall into that stupid mentality in business. And, and I'm going to say it's stupid because they're not, the money's not their money. So if they're using other people's money, i.e. they're using us as a financing tool for them, right? And selling us on the growth and the scalability while still trying to chop down our margin so we make less money, okay? They're not bootstrapped. They don't understand what it's like to actually feel it. They don't understand what it's like to feel real financial constraint because at the end of the day, it's not their money. Because right. worst in this area, what do they do, right? Video was two hundred thousand dollars because that's approximately where we were at one point. Whether with 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 a customer of ninety five percent of our business, if we didn't keep shipping them, they said we, we we're gonna go out of business. No, they wouldn't have went out of business. They would have went to another manufacturer, played the same game with them. But you're still gonna screw us. And what are we gonna do at the end of the day? You're gonna file for chapter. You're gonna file for chapter eleven. You're gonna restructure your debt. We're gonna get screwed. Okay. And there's nothing we can do about it. We don't have money to, to litigate with you. You know what I mean? Because it's all in the money that we paid vendors to finance your product. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But when I see people that look for terms off the bat, I'm good. Don't want to do business with you. Sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless, Where's the money coming from? Unless I would have to imagine they have a good reputation, right? And there's yeah. something that says, like, your values align. And I'll say this, right? Like, for me, 2024, right? I do content. And everybody's always saying like, oh, this is about attention now or clicks or whatever. My values for 2024 is all, my, my, my theme for 2024 is all about values in general, mm. right? I only want to work with people whose values align with mine, you know? Mm. So when I get that phone call or I get that email from them, if it's the 11th hour, I know that they actually need help with something, you know? Mm. And we already have an understanding because like you said, like, I don't think people or understand this enough of like, you've got to cultivate this entrepreneurial ecosystem. You know, if you and I are, are in a business relationship, right, you have to trust me to respect you and pay your invoices on time, mm. you know? And I have to trust you to deliver the product or service that you say you're going to do, right? That's how this works. And we grow and we pull people into this ecosystem. 
And it's the same thing. One of the challenges I think now with the internet in general is that, you know, because we're so dispersed, right? It can be real easy to not really know who you're doing business with, right? Mm. People online can come across a certain way, but guess what? They don't screw you over and then you have to go see them in church on Sunday. You know what I mean? You're not going to bump into them, you know, at the local barbershop. So there's this mm. disconnect from having to deal with and live with the actions that people are taking. It's no different than, you know, somebody driving, flying a drone, you know, and they're sitting in their little behind their desk in Nevada and they're dropping a drone somewhere overseas. Right. They're disconnected from like the experience grunts have being on the ground. And so, like you said, like if you do not understand that you're working with a bootstrap business, that if I don't have this capital, I cannot pay my employees, then that means you don't respect me, right? And we have a, 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 a value misalignment. And so mm. I'm trying to avoid that altogether in 2024. And I think your experiences just kind of reinforce that. Totally. So when you, first part, I agree with everything you're saying. When you say the value alignment is huge, right? Like this client that owes all, all this money, I'm not going to name names because I have a good relationship as a human being, but as a business sense, never again. They were a big internet brand, a really big internet brand. I mean, when you have people driving around in, in, in these $200,000, $300,000 cars, but we're financing you, you know what I mean? It's like, and you can't pay your bill on time. That's just bad business, period. You know what I mean? And when a lot of, more often than not, when I see people that have that mentality of using other people's money, they don't feel the pain of what it's like because at the end of the day, they know their liability and risk, which they're not taking. I'm taking on behalf of you. And I can't control your business. I don't know your business. You know what I mean? I don't know how many employees you have. I don't know. I don't know. The only reason I knew this guy because I, I see him on social media and I see the type of cars he's driving. You know what I mean? Because he's bragging about it, but you can't pay your bills. You know what I mean? You have to use us to finance it. So let me kind of rephrase what I was saying before. It's not necessarily the fact that values is half of, uh, half of it, what you're saying, right? The other half would be if somebody is coming looking for terms from the very beginning, then they don't know what it's like to feel financial constraints, right? In order, I feel in order to be, I'm not going to say in order to be, because there are people that have evolved with funding from day one, 100%. I mean, my mentality is different because it's a lot hardened because I didn't take any financing from anybody, neither did my partner. Partner. So my mentality is a do or die. Like if we don't pay this Amex, we're dead. You know what I mean? My partner told Amex in the first couple of years that they need to, we owed them like a quarter million dollars and we need another 20 grand. We were late on the Amex. You're not late on Amex. Amex doesn't allow you to be late. They'll call you, they'll freeze you. They said, what's going on? They said, and my partner said, I need another 20 grand to buy materials to get 150. If you don't pay me, I'm not going to pay you. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, I've never in my life met anybody that can negotiate with American Express. And he did it successfully, which is why he's my business partner. And he will be my partner in every business venture I ever do. You know what I mean? Because he just knows his function very well. And as you evolve to these relationships, you start realizing that the people that have money and the people that understand good business and values in business, they're not going to go into a relationship fresh, especially in my industry, we do. Because the cogs, the cost of goods are so high, and they know we're a volume-based business that we work on low margin, right? And they're not going to come to us and expect terms off the bat. The guys that expect terms, they're going to say, I'm going to put you in a small order with you, okay? And three, four, five, six thousand dollars order, whatever it is, okay? 50% deposit, 50 on ship. After that, we need $50,000 terms, $100,000 terms, right? Net 15 or net 30, okay? But the conversation is going to depend on how much risk and liability we want to take, right? We might say, okay, everybody across the board, because I know big companies, Muscle Farms are a perfect example. I hate to name names, but knowledge, everybody knows this. They got sued by their manufacturers, $65 million. You know what I mean? They went through a lot of turmoil. And I've had the opportunity to work with them a long time ago. And same thing with the terms. And it's like, if you as a manufacturer... Of a, of a company that's doing $100 million a year in revenue, especially. So even if you're doing a million dollars a year in revenue, right? If you can't turn around and, and, and have just good business, business ethics to make your manufacturer feel comfortable, 
okay? To say, I'm going to put in a small order, here's a deposit, then you'll get on ship. But after that, here's my credit references. Okay? That's on us to say, okay, there's money mechanics work. And we don't even do credit checks. We build natural terms with our clients based upon their history with us. But at the end of the day, I will say this. It's a lot safer doing it with companies that have been doing it a long time and checking the references that people within your ecosystem, like you said, that do business with these people. You generally get a feel if there's financial problems within that company, right? But at the end of the day, no matter what, if something goes wrong with the company and the smaller they are and the less experienced they are, which we look by how long somebody's been in business too is a big part of, of our established relationship and how far we want to go with them. At the end of the day, if you give somebody terms, okay, or we give somebody terms and they're a startup, right? No matter what, okay, they're going to choose their, them and their families over paying us, no matter what. I had a customer get sued. He's big on, he was that big, he was growing on Amazon. And he got sued by another company on Amazon. That was the only distribution channel. He got sued. And he asked for terms before that. I said, no, I gave him a little bit of terms. Guess what? He screwed me out like six grand. By the end of it. And it was a fight, a long fight with Eddie Payne. I'm like, this is why I never gave you terms. Because I don't blame you. You know what I mean? It's how much, it's what my risk tolerance is as a manufacturer. Because they have to finance you. So if you want terms, okay, are you going to sign a document saying I'm going to take a piece of your company? And if so, what kind of assets do you have that's worth my time to do it? You see what I'm saying? It's just a matter of navigating yeah. in time that you start understanding those things and you start understanding the language people are asking for. You know what I mean? If it's like a, like, like, like a fellow Marine like you, and you wanted to start a brand, and you wanted some credit to start, just off who you are, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? But it's like, that's yeah. just I like you. I understand my risk tolerance. So at the end of the day, if you turn around and screw me out and say 10 grand with that revenue, what we do, like to me, on the scale of things, that $10,000 worth of gross revenue might only be six to $7,000 close to goods with me, which I'm going to take losses as a business is going to happen. So I'm going to say, he's a fellow Marine, okay? I like the guy. I trust him. I see what he's doing as a business person. I'm going to support him. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. And I do the same thing with my agency because I call it uh, radical generosity, mm -hmm. right? So when I'm fighting for margin, I can't be as radically generous. <laughs> you know, exactly. I got a little margin, you know, I can make some time, you know, get you launched real quick, do some things. But uh, you're, you're spot on with that. Now, I, I want to ask you. For our, our entrepreneurs that are listening in, okay, in the early days, everyone talks about building brand awareness, mm. right? And I just wrote a newsletter on this about, you know, people think they need marketing and what they really need are sales. Mm -hmm. And I think when they mean brand awareness, what they're talking about is how can I present myself in a way where I can get that big contract and there's a sense of trust there in the absence of a track record? Because mm -hmm. when you're first starting out, right, you haven't delivered this a lot, whatever, but here you are. You're a small uh, manufacturing shop. How were you able to get those first initial big clients? And how would you advise our listeners to think about doing it? Because one thing I often tell people is similar to what you said about asking for terms. It sounds great to work with this big company, but if I've never sent an invoice, I've never run my back office, I haven't done any rehearsals, I could be setting up myself for failure out the mm -hmm. gate, you know, and just have this raggedy business come across unprofessional as opposed to kind of getting some reps in. And so I think there's like a balance there of like, yeah, we want to get these big contracts. We also need to get some reps in. How do you approach that? Or back in the, back in the day? Well, first off, I'm going to say by, by, by without the marketing and, and, and the branding aspect of paying for it and sales reps, if you're not growing your own company, be good at what you do. Be relentlessly good at what you do. Know your job inside and out. Learn every facet of it, of every facet of it, so when you talk to clients, you come off impressive. You know the answers to the questions they're going to ask. Any client worth doing business with, period, and I'm using me as an example with on the manufacturing side, any brand that, that, that's worth my time and effort and energy doing business with because the volume makes sense to me because it's beneficial to my company, okay, they know what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like They've worked with big multi-billion dollar manufacturers before. They know the question they ask. They know the in and out of the industry. They know the R&D issues. They know the potential flavor issues. They understand customs documents. They understand international regulatory. You know what I mean? They understand testing methods, how to read certificates of analysis, okay? They understand third-party testing, Amazon fulfillment, and all that stuff, okay? They understand, for the most part, 
formulation and surface level stuff there. But if you as a business owner know all that stuff already and you have all the answers for them and you make them feel comfortable, they're going to be comfortable giving you the PO and scaling with Because if you don't know your job, and that's how I read people too. I had somebody message me on LinkedIn the other day. And ironically, I'm looking for a plant protein supply. I used to really did plant protein. But I have some opportunity in that space, right? Like pea protein, hemp protein, and stuff like that. So ironically, I was looking for a plant protein supplier. And somebody requested me on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh, let me see. Glad sent me a long-winded message, okay? I said, what's the name of your company you work for? Another long-winded message. He's a broker. Like, you don't actually work for a company. You know what I mean? You did not make me feel comfortable at all when I asked a very simple, straightforward question to mitigate my risk and liability by potentially doing business with you and potentially wasting my time. You see what I'm saying? Very simple questions go a very long way. You're going to get attacked by a lot of people in business that want your business, but if you don't know the right question to ask by AE knowing your job, okay, then you're going to be, you're going to take a lot longer for you. You're going to run into a lot more issues and a lot more slowdowns and growth than if you knew your job function well. I can gain customers, not to pat myself on the back, but I, I have a serious, I'm a relentless entrepreneur. I don't stop with my job function. Even when I was in the back blending, like I'm still, I'm still researching stuff. I'm still learning the industry. I'm still talking to vendors to understand what's going in the marketplace. You know what I mean? And not only that, but delivery. Know your job, be impressive, okay? And deliver on time. If you're providing a service from me, you say you're going to do something, do it. Because I'll tell you right now, the easiest way to be successful is A, know your job function, B, deliver. Because there's a lot of bullshit artists. Like you said, a lot of people out there selling, selling billion-dollar dreams on getting in social media by follow their success plan. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, if you don't deliver, you're going to have nothing. You're going to lose customers. And it's going to cost you a lot of money just, just for the acquisition cost it took you to get there. You know what I mean? Let me tell y'all, man, if y'all ain't got out pen and paper taking notes, you're missing out. I'm the podcast host, and I take notes when people come on here and talk. And he's keeping it real for y'all. Now, I want you to take us back to your car is getting repossessed, right? You're maxed out on credit cards, right? You're barely paying yourself. Mentally, what did you do to ensure that you could still show up for yourself and your team? Because, you know, a lot of veterans struggle and military spouses struggle when they find themselves down on the canvas, right? And nobody's coming to save you, right? You ain't got your battle buddies around no more. You know, can't go tell company Gunny, hey, Guns, I don't know what's going on with Mark, right? You're just in it. So how were you able to get yourself back up? How could you show up for your team? I'll say a few. It's not just one. It's not just a, it's a couple of things. It's first off, my, my, my business partner is just the, the one that negotiated with Amex, just a phenomenal human being. And, and he kept all of our vendors at bay without losing terms with these vendors. Because having payment terms with vendors is super important. That were earned, of course. Uh, so losing terms with vendors would have been very tough. He kept them at bay, kept that term strong. He kept, like you said, asked for a little bit of money. So when we were down, he would shuffle a little bit of money here and there and spread it out. But kept the lines of communication open, which is huge. Because if you don't do that, vendors get nervous and they cut you off and they stop. And then you lose terms, you start to get those backwards in business, okay? That was one, having my, my business partner there. To, so I wasn't feeling the fine. I was feeling the physical stress of being here and working the mental stress of dealing with the clients. But he was dealing with the, he was dealing with the back end as far as the, the, the money mechanics to make sure that, that we weren't getting shut down. You know what I mean? Financially. Also, my family. I mean, I, I have a, I have a, just recently got married with my, with my fiance for, for 13 years. We have two kids going on 14 years. And we just got married this past September, right around our, just after our 13 year mark. We have two kids. We have a nine year old, 11 year old. So having my kids home every day and, and my wife was, was a huge part of it. And I hate to say this, but just being real about it, alcohol played a big part. Alcohol and pure rage. <laughs> you know, again, I, I wouldn't encourage that. But at the end of the day, I think everything serves purpose and just the financial and, and, and mental stress I was going through to be able to sh- turn it off. When you can't turn it off, you're going to go crazy. I mean, I use that as a coping mechanism to turn it off when I need to turn it off. Again, not proud of it, which I think, I think everyone can relate in some capacity to, to, to using things to cope. But yeah, a combination of all those things, man, you know, it, uh, it just never, never gave up. I was going to die. And I was going to succeed. Or I was going to die, I wasn't going to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you being transparent about that. And one thing that I tell people is just be aware of what you're using to cope these days. Right. Because, again, you know, people turn to alcohol, they turn to all these different things. And there's nothing worse than financial stress. Right. We got stressed out in the military a bit. But at the end of the day, we didn't really have to worry about being fed too much. Maybe you're on an op or something, (laughs) something crazy. But like you knew you were getting paid on the first and the 15th. Man, when you're that entrepreneur and you're working for free, you know, you're like, I'm not even getting paid for this. And I got to get up here and work 18 hours a day. This is crazy, you know, but you got to keep pushing. You got to keep working. You know, I've developed some things over the years that have been super helpful for me. One is making sure I have a peer group that I can always go to. Uh, before I was part of this coaching group called the Lions Pride, I had my business coach on here, Bill Watkins, and uh, we shut that down to launch uh, Flawless Acceleration. I'm part of a couple different groups, no BS agency. I just hired Dr. Sherry Wallen and I joined her coaching group and she's like a therapist that specializes working with entrepreneurs. And so having that, I call that the left and right lateral limits, mm. right? Who are the people that rain, sleet, hell or snow, if you're having a bad day, as long as I show up to this meeting once a week or every other week, I'm good. Then the other thing I've mentioned before for me personally is the iron therapy. Mm. Just getting in the weight room, getting some weight moving. You know, that's what allows me to get back on offense and says, hey, because I think people's default, too, is when times get hard, they quit taking care of themselves. And it's like, listen, you got to invest in yourself so you can get yourself out of that place and get back in it because you are the asset. I got to say, too, and not to cut you off, but that's one thing I forgot to mention, too. It was the gym. I was heavy in the gym. I wasn't eating well at all. And my internal inside wasn't looking too good. Mentally, I wasn't doing too good. But it was, it was all that rage. Yeah, that was definitely 100% that way. If I didn't have the gym, it would be it would have been it would have been very difficult. So a combination of all those things. But I totally hear you. You got you got to be able to let it out somewhere. You got to go somewhere where you turn it off, and you just focus on just pure unadulterated rage. <laughs> so now that you're in it, right? And I call this the hamster wheel. Not hamster wheel, but getting on the track, right? So you come up with this idea for a business. You go through the five stages of small business growth: validate, sales, foundation, expansion, and multiply. But you haven't gone all the way through. You're just at the recurring revenue stage. So sales. Now you got to make a decision. What are we doing? Are we making this a cash flow positive business? You know, it's going to be lifestyle. We're going to live off it. Are we growing, taking on capital? Are we looking to expand and eventually exit? As you sit today, what are your thoughts about the future? Well, it, it's so funny that you say that because, because throughout 2023, we, we, we really, we've really turned it around. I'm not going to say turn around, but we were able to make it a cash flow positive business. We were able to scale our business to now 19 employees. I mean, we've had a, a lot, but we were able to scale it and solidify 19 employees. Cash flow positive, and, 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 and we have sales goals every year of where we, of where we plan on hitting. I mean, last year, we exceeded our sales goal. We're, we're a high seven-figure company. By next year, we should be, we should be mid-eight-figure company. And then and they continue to scale from there. Um, it, it, we're looking for, for 70, 80% um, growth year over year, gross revenue. And the sky's the limit. I mean, I, I think the hardest part is, like you said, like when you, when you kind of get things going and, and, and you're cash positive and, and you're in a good place and you start not having those money problems anymore, it's almost like, all right, what do I want to do from here? You know, you're so used to hustle and grind every day. And then when you start hiring people that are doing these things, you know what I mean? It's like, you got to kind of reinvent yourself. And it's either you're right, you're going to keep it as a nice, like, career for yourself or you're going to scale it i mean i think i've always had this scaling in mind to create a billion dollar company bootstrapped that we don't plan on taking on revenue we don't plan on taking on investors we would be drastic people would love to invest in our company because we're we're, we're our, our pnls are very strong just do the efficiencies and the way we built our company you know but at the end of the day that's something that that that, that my business partner our employees and myself have went through the pain and went through the suffering to build. And if we were to take on outside cash, number one, money just doesn't motivate me. The success motivates me and creating an environment to, to allow people to flourish and evolve their, themselves in their, in their business life, in their career, and also in their personal life. That's what drives us. So again, money wouldn't be a deciding factor of taking on any, any outside investors or equity or equity partners. And also if we do that, we don't, we lose control. We lose control of, of raises for our employees. We lose control of company benefits. We lose control of vacation time. I mean, just last year, we, we were at a position where we were able to offer 401k with a 6% company match, you know? 
So we, we, we have we have six PTO days a year. We give off all major holidays and we just took off for a whole Christmas week. And then obviously New Year's Day paid. I mean, we do six paid holidays a year on top of we get a mid-year bonus and a Christmas bonus this year for all employees. You know what I mean? So the fact that we're able to do that, we're not held, we're not held to the fire by investors wanting the return. This is something that we built together and we plan on continuing to scale this to really give back as much as possible to our employees that earn it because we're giving them a pathway to grow. Mediocrity does not fare well with us. If you work hard and you're driven, we will teach you and we will grow together. And yeah, that's it. I mean, we're going to grow. We're not, it's not, it's not our goal. We're going to grow a billion dollar manufacturer and we're going to compete with, 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 with really big manufacturers. I love it. One of the things that comes to mind is like you're saying that basically, you know, you're not laying off 30% of your workforce and then bragging about 5X growth. No, hell Right. And I see a lot of that these days. Right. Oh, we grew by. It's like, dude, you let off half your staff. Dude, it's, it's the worst. You know? you know what the problem is? People, you know, what the problem is like, and I see this all the time. And I, and, and I explain this to my top tier guys in my company, my top managers in the company, that you're going to see businesses that do that. Right. And they're all about money. If money, you need money to grow your business. I understand that. I get it, Right. If you have to lay off that much of your staff, you have other investors. There's a strong possibility. 95% chance that I ever say you have other investors that you need to please to lay those people off, right? You hire those people more often than not to do a job function, and when you didn't need them anymore, you throw them away. And it's so frustrating because companies do that. And it's horrible business practice that companies do that. I have never, ever, no matter how bad things got, no matter how much money we ran through Amex to pay our employees, okay? We've never laid a company off due to financial stress, even though at one point in early 2022, we were over $900,000 in vendor debt because one of our biggest, another different client owed us almost half a million dollars and we were putting the bill for that. We never laid off one employee due to financial constraints. We made sure our employees got paid, period. Real companies, real entrepreneurs will do that for their people and they're not, gonna, they're not in it to please investors. I'm not knocking people that want money, Mike. I'm not. I, there's nothing wrong with wanting nice things or wanting to grow your company. But at the end of the day, it's what you're in it for. I mean, we're just, we just, we don't look at money doesn't excite us being, being a, a 39 year old entrepreneur with a wife and two kids and, and, and having employees that, 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 that for the most part, we trained, didn't come from companies doing this, that we're growing. We don't have a sales team. I do it all myself. Just do my network and the people that I know, you know what I mean? Being good at what we do allows us to grow to a high seven figure company. You know what I mean? From nothing, self-funded, bootstrapped, 100 percent, and off Amex, and building a strong cash flow. And it's just, it's, it's not, it's not normal to do what we do. And I'm not gloating, but we, we've been through a lot, like a lot that a lot of people would have fell down and died for. And yeah, I, I know another entrepreneur that killed himself because he couldn't do it. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm better than that guy, or this guy. You know what I'm saying? But it's like you got to take a step back every once in a while and say, holy shit, like we've come a long way, man. You know. And to be able to look at our team and know that we can do that together and build and give opportunity for people, I mean, I think is a, is a, is a huge, a huge thing for us. We make decisions based on our employees. And we're, we're in New York right now. We're leaving, we're leaving New York in a couple of years, moving down to South Carolina. Not for us. I mean, me and our top manager, I mean, we, 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 could, we could, like I own a home. I mean, a couple of our guys own homes and they could, they could live here. You know, it's not going to be easy. You know what I mean? Just because New York just, it's just continuously getting more and more expensive due to a lot of reasons. I won't get into that. But, the fact that we can make a decision to move to another state and we can have 90 plus percent home ownership for people that, 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 that are gonna, we're gonna, they make the same amount of money up here, if not go down, possibly go down there with a raise and make that kind of money, they can own homes. They don't have equity in anything here. You know what I mean? So we're giving back to our people and showing them that this is how you do it. You know what I mean? 401k, 6% company match, because this is how you, you invest in your retirement. These things are important for you for your growth. We work 6 a.m. in the morning to 2 30 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. We do not work over 40 hours a week. We refuse to. It just doesn't happen because we think family life is important. People need that balance in their life. Life isn't all about work. From what we see in our business, that's how we've grown and it's worked fantastic for us. Everyone does really well. We have a great company, people are happy, and we keep giving benefits back. You know what I mean? Between the annual vacations and, and, and bonuses and stuff like that, I think we, we built a great organization. We just discussing together what people are looking for out of it. 
and we can take the scale. With your BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal of being a billion-dollar pharmaceutical, not pharmaceutical, but manufacturer, right? You've got veterans and military spouses tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. You've been so gracious with your time, sharing us your story and your insights. As a community, how can we help you accomplish that goal? I don't think there's much that can be done. It's just a matter of we just, we're already growing towards that annual growth rate. And if I owned a brand, I would say, yeah, we have this brand. This is what we're doing with it, you know, but we're such a behind the scenes company that in, in, unless somebody has a, a, owns a brand out there that's looking for manufacturing help, I would say just, just keep, keep supporting entrepreneurs out there. I mean, there's not much that can be done for, for me on my end, you know? I mean, when I, when I hit you up, Mike, I, I, I didn't expect the podcast, but I thought it was a cool concept. You know what I mean? I always listen to, not always, but I've listened to podcasts before. I said, oh, it'd be cool. I'd love to tell my story. You know what I mean? And to be able to do that, yeah. I thought it was a cool opportunity. I didn't, I didn't message you expecting anything in return, to be honest with you. It was just more like, hey, what, no, can, man. what can I do to help? You know what I mean? I see what you do. I think it's dope. Yeah. But you're out there helping people and you're dedicating your time to, to help people. I mean, especially with the boxing. I think that's an awesome thing, man. I think to be able to go out there and help other people and and involve other people's lives that don't necessarily have the same opportunities that other people have, I think is an amazing thing, man. And I think that the more we evolve as entrepreneurs, I think that that's what it's about. It's not about, it's not about us. It's about, it's about leadership and it's about giving back and showing other people that there's other pathways and stay on the right track and how other people can involve themselves as human beings. I think that it'll make the world a better place as a whole. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of this world has lost that these days. Because you're right, there's a lot of the uh, me two guys out there that, oh, I make $10 million this year, but how do you do that when you make no money? You know what I mean? It's like, how much pants <laughs> yeah. do you sell do you invest? How much, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's a it's yeah. bullshit. Just be real people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you for making time, man. I'm so honored to have you in our network. I'm happy to have you sharing your story on here for all these entrepreneurs. Do me a favor for those of you that are tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the Transition Podcast if you haven't done so already. You can just hit subscribe on your favorite podcast hosting app. This is what we're about, man. We're getting real stories on here to help you all out there navigate those landmines and also normalize excellence. And what I mean by that, Mark, is, you know, I was over an entrepreneur's, he does podcasting too, and he has an agency. He's been doing it way longer than I have. And I was meeting with him the day out of his office, right? And he's got this really nice office here in Newark, right? Freaking, it's at this luxury building, like super nice. But when we do things like that, just by going to visit him, you see what's possible for yourself, right? He wrote a book years ago. When I saw he could write a book, I felt like I could write a book. And I feel like by you coming on here and saying, I'm going to open up, you know, I'm going to grow my business to a billion dollar, you know, company, right? Our listeners that are tuning in, because everybody's not in the New York City metro area like we are. You got people in the sticks, you know what I'm saying? And they might not have people talking like we're talking on this platform, you know? So by us coming on here and speaking our truth, we empower them. And I appreciate you for being part of that. And so for all our listeners, do me a favor. And again, just make sure you hit that subscribe because we're doing this week over week. Got a big announcement coming for you all soon. Until next time, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week.